if you could uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 7, the, the Old Testament reading on page 58, uh, we're looking at the plagues this evening. It's an exciting passage. Now, there's an outline of the talk in the, in the middle of the bulletin that you can follow along there uh, as, as well. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself through your Son in your Word. And we pray now that as we, as we read this Word, that you would help us to know you better, that we may respond to you rightly. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how can we know God? Uh, how can we know which God is the true God? And does it matter? Now, these are all questions that non-Christians regularly ask. Uh, after all, we, we can't see God, so how can we know that he exists? And to make it more complicated, around the, in the world around us, people worship all kinds of gods in all kinds of ways. Uh, we've enjoyed a few public holidays this week, isn't it? As uh, a group of people would have gone down to Batu Caves, worshipping their gods. And so how can you know which God is the true God? And even if we know which one is the true God, does it really matter if we know him? Well, we're looking this evening at Exodus 7 to 10 uh, and these plagues. It's a famous story. You may have, uh, remember it from Sunday school. Uh, but perhaps it's not a passage that we've actually uh, studied in much detail before. Uh, the plagues are all about knowing God. Uh, you might recall the story. They're, they're sl Israel is slaves in Egypt. Uh, God has promised that he is going to redeem his people. Uh, his rescue plan uh, began as God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Uh, there God made known his name, Yahweh. Uh, and God sent Moses to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. Well, back in chapter 5, Pharaoh replied like this, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. But God's intention in the plagues is to make himself known. Uh, as he brings judgment on the Egyptians and saves his people through the plagues, God wants all the earth to know that he, he alone is Lord of all. Now we see God's uh, plan uh, uh, stated in chapter 7, uh, but it's, it's a little bit easy to be confused, I think, as we look at the plagues. Uh, perhaps we, uh, we think that uh, Pharaoh and, uh, and God are kind of evenly matched. There's Pharaoh in the red corner there, and he's kind of powerful. It uh, seems like he's challenging God. And then you've got God there in the blue corner, uh, but he finally gets the knockout punch in the end. Now, from the outset, God wants us to understand that it is not like that at all. Yes, Pharaoh is the most uh, a powerful king of the most powerful kingdom of the time. But Pharaoh is just, just a pawn in God's hand. He is very small indeed. 
God is the one who is really in control. Uh, look at God's plan. It's in chapter 7 and verse 3. Chapter 7, verse 3. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. So we can see God has the whole thing planned out. God intends to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will show his, his power and majesty in the plagues. And we might ask, well, why do it like that? I mean, is it a bit unfair even that God hardens Pharaoh like this? Well, that's an important question we'll come to later. But God's reason is very clear here in verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch my hand against Egypt and bring the people of Israel from among them. Now God does this in order to reveal himself to the Egyptians. God wants them and his people to know that, that he, Yahweh, is the only God. And so these, these plagues are, are specially chosen by God to reveal what he is like. Now, the plagues come to us, ten in all, they come to us in three cycles of three, with the tenth great plague at the end. And each cycle shows us something different about God. Uh, well, the first cycle uh, shows the finger of God at work. Uh, in this uh, first cycle, plagues, numbers one, two, and three, we, ha we see a confrontation between God and the magicians. Uh, to prove that the Lord has, has sent Moses and Aaron, uh, God tells Aaron in verse 10 to cast his staff onto the ground and becomes a serpent, a uh, nifty little party trick. But in verse 11 we read that the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. They appear to have some real power here. But they still can't match God. You see, Aaron's staff in verse 12 eats up their staffs. And yet Pharaoh hardens his heart. Well, with Pharaoh hardening his heart, the plagues begin. The first plague is the plague of blood. Uh, verse 17, chapter 7, verse 17, Moses says, Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord, Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. And so all the waters of Egypt turn to blood. The fish die, the, the river stinks, there is death everywhere. The Egyptians should recognize what they're up against. But chapter 7, verse 22 we read that the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. And so, verse 22 again, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. He would not listen to them. Verse 23, he would not even take it to heart. And so comes plague number two, the frogs 
Uh, it's almost comical, this one, as you uh, pictured the frogs coming from everywhere. We're told they're, they're even there in the bedroom and they're there in the, the oven. You're kind of brushing your teeth and then the frog comes up uh, in the bathroom. But chapter 8, verse 7, we read that the magicians did the same by their secret arts. So now we've got even more frogs jumping around. And then we have a problem because although the magicians could summon the frogs, they couldn't get rid of the frogs. And so Pharaoh comes pleading to Moses, and in chapter 8, verse 12, Moses cries out to the Lord about the frogs. And verse 13, the Lord listens to Moses, and all the frogs die. But the moment they're gone, verse 15 When Pharaoh saw that they had respite, he hardened his heart. And so plague number three. Now, in the third one, there is no uh, confrontation. Uh, The Lord simply instructs Aaron to lift up his staff, and this great plague of gnats arrives. But the weakness of the magicians is now really exposed. Now, have a look at chapter 8 and verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen. So we see here in these first three plagues that, that this kind of black, dark magic is real. Uh, And it is powerful too. Uh, It's not something that Christians should dabble in. Elsewhere in the Bible we're told it's, it's not only dangerous, but it is detestable to God. But here we see that God is far more powerful that even these, these demonic and magical uh, forces, uh, even here at the end, the magicians themselves are forced to concede that this is the finger of God. And so we do not need to fear witches or magic or spells or any of these things if we are Christians. God is far more powerful. We see the same uh, in our gospel reading as, as Jesus came to, to, to cast out the demons and he declared, if I drive out demons, this is the finger of God at work. God is the true God, not the false gods of Egypt. And so we come to cycle number two. And the big thing with learning cycle number two is that God makes a distinction between his people and his enemies. Uh, In each of these plagues, four, five, and six, the plague falls upon the Egyptians, but not on the Israelites. Uh, And so the fourth plague, God is going to send in a great swarm of flies on the Egyptians. And we read in chapter 8 and verse 22, chapter 8, verse 22, On that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. 
Again, God intends to make himself known. He wants us to know that he is the, the Lord of all the earth. But not only that, he shows himself to be the God who loves his people, who, who separates his people, who, who fights for his people, who saves his people, and who judges their enemies. He is the God who makes a distinction. Now, it should be enough for Pharaoh to recognize. But once again, chapter 8, verse 32, Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. And so plague number five, uh, God once again makes a distinction between his people and his enemies. This time it's the livestock, chapter 9 and verse 3. Moses says, Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague on your livestock, your dog uh, that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. God makes a distinction between his people and his enemies, but Pharaoh's heart is hardened once again. And so plague number six, the third in the cycle, once again no confrontation. This time God brings painful boils upon men and beasts. In fact, we read in chapter 9 and verse 11, chapter 9, verse 11, that the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the, magi on, upon the magicians and upon all of the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken. And so again, through these plagues, God wants to show us he is the God who loves his people, who separates his people, who fights for his people. Well, plague uh, cycle number three. And now things are really starting to get much worse. If Pharaoh has seen the finger of God earlier, now he sees the hand of God as God brings the full force of his plagues against them. And the big point, <coughs> the big point in this uh, third cycle is that God wants his name to be proclaimed to all of the earth. He sends plagues that are so terrifying and so powerful that all of the earth will glorify him. Have a look at what God says to Pharaoh in chapter 9 and verse 14. He says, For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself. <coughs> if someone could get me water, that would be really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so the point here is that God is going to show his, that his name is going to be glorified in all of the earth. And so look what he says to Pharaoh, chapter 9 and verse 14. This time I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people 
so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now we begin to to understand why there is plague after plague after plague as Pharaoh hardens his heart and hardens his heart and hardens his heart. It is God's intention that as his judgment falls and falls and falls upon the Egyptians in increasing measure, that it will be absolutely clear to them and to all the earth that he alone is the God of this world, unmatched, unrivaled, almighty in every way, glorious. God intends for his name to be proclaimed in all the earth. But Pharaoh, in his arrogance, defies the living God. Look, chapter 9, verse 17. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, Malaysia can have some... Pretty terrifying thunderstorms, isn't it? And it was nothing like that day in Egypt. Here we see the folly of pretending that we are in charge of our lives. The folly of failing to yield to God's rule, defying him. That God's fearful judgment falls on all who resist him. Now, in fact... Uh, By this point, we read in chapter 9, verse 20, even the Egyptians are starting to fear the word of the Lord. Uh, And in fact, in chapter 9, verse 27, even Pharaoh himself is forced to confess his sin. Verse 27, Pharaoh said uh, to Moses and Aaron, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. And yet he still does not Repent. His heart is hardened once more. And so plague number eight. God once again repeats his purpose. Chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians. And what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. And so now we see here that God's intention is is not just to make himself known to the Egyptians, but that, that every generation of his people may be able to look back on these events in Egypt and know for certain that he alone is the only God. There is no other. And by chapter 10, verse 7, now even the officials have begun to acknowledge the Lord. But chapter 10, verse 20, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart 
He did not let the people go. And so plague number nine. Again, no confrontation, but darkness. Three days, three nights, pitch black, not a ray of sunshine, except miraculously where the Israelites are. You could feel the judgment of God on the blackness of that day. And yet Pharaoh is the same. Chapter 10, verse 27. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. We will see next week, it will take the death of his own firstborn son to force him to yield to God's will. Now, we've gone very quickly there through those chapters, but I want us to just pause here and see what we can learn from them. Now, the first thing we see here is that that God is sovereign. Uh, God is the God who controls all of the creation. He turns water to blood. He, He sends frogs to and fro. He directs disasters. He sends the hail. He controls the sun. Now, we need to remember that the Egyptians worshipped all of these things. They worshipped the sun. They worshipped animals. But the true God is sovereign over them all. How foolish it is to worship man-made idols and things. God is the God who controls history. Remember chapter 7, God had a plan in advance. He spoke it all and everything went exactly as he said. But even more, God is the God who controls the human heart. Even the heart of, of Pharaoh, this great king of this kingdom. Proverbs chapter 21 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. There's no need, is there, to be worried about the next general election. God is sovereign. He will put the ruler he wants to be there and turn him where he will. So God is sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over history. He's sovereign over our hearts. But Romans chapter 9 pushes it one step further. God is sovereign over your heart and my heart as well. God is the potter. We are the clay. Romans 9 verse 18 says, He has mercy on whomever he wills. He hardens whomever he wills. God is utterly sovereign. He is ultimately sovereign over who will put their trust in Jesus and who will not. Now, perhaps we find that a little hard to accept that God is sovereign like this, that he would even harden people's hearts. But if we read Exodus carefully, we see that although God is sovereign in every way, Pharaoh is still responsible. Uh, Pharaoh hardens his own heart again and again and again. Uh, And if God was not sovereign over our hearts, we would do exactly the same thing because we are slaves to sin. And so God's sovereignty is ultimately an act of his grace towards us. Because we would never 
apart from his intervention, ever turn to him. Of course, God's sovereignty is never an excuse for resisting Christ. Uh, We are responsible for our every decision. God calls on us to stop the rebellion, to stop challenging his rule, and to hand over our lives to King Jesus. But even more here, we see that God in his sovereignty acts in creation, in history, in the human heart for the glory of his name. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? We read in chapter 9, verse 16, so that his power might be shown, his name proclaimed to all the earth. Again, we might find this a little difficult to accept. Is God a little bit selfish? But that's to misunderstand who this God is. He alone is God, the creator and the ruler of this world in every way. Of course he deserves all the glory. Well, secondly, we see that God is glorified as he judges his enemies. Now, again, perhaps we're a little bit uncomfortable with knowing that God will hold us to account for our actions. But in these chapters, we're shown the terrible consequences of of persisting in rebellion against God's rule in our lives. Because God deserves all the glory, any attempt to deny him his glory will be met in severe judgment. Pharaoh's stubborn refusal to repent destroyed his people in horrific judgment. And yet the book of of Revelation in the New Testament sees all of these plagues as just a shadow, a, a dim picture of an even greater judgment that is to come, the final judgment day. Uh, You can read in Revelation chapters 15 and 16 as God sends plague after plague after plague upon those who refuse to repent of their sins until finally the final judgment falls. And so just as these first nine plagues are are God's gracious warning before the tenth, so all of the disasters and the disease and the death of this world is a gracious reminder from God that an even worse judgment is coming. God will hold us accountable one day if we persist in rebelling against him. But we also see here that God is glorified as he redeems his people. Yes, God's judgment is real, but God is the God who loves and separates and saves his people. And it's uh, striking, isn't it, that in all the plagues, God's people basically do nothing. They're passive. God does it all. And it's the same as God saves us through Jesus. We're we're totally passive. It's, It's Jesus who steps into this world. It's Jesus who lives the perfect life we have not. It's Jesus who dies on the cross and bears that judgment we deserve as he dies. You remember the 
The skies turn to darkness. Because there on the cross, he is bearing on himself all the judgment we deserve, all the plagues we deserve, if you like, in our place, so that we can be made right with God. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. He does it all. And the way that he does that is by providing that sacrifice that we need. We'll look a lot more at that next week. And finally, let's return to the question we began with. How can we know God? How can we know which God is the true God? Well, the answer is, God has made himself known. We saw that was the goal of the plagues, to make himself known in his power and his glory so that all people, the Egyptians, the Israelites, the whole world would know that he is God, unmatched in power and also in love. But God ultimately reveals himself as he comes to redeem his people through Christ. Jesus comes into the world and there he reveals God in all his grace and glory. Uh, Jesus too performs amazing signs and wonders. He calms the storm, he heals the sick, he drives out demons, he raises the dead. And in the greatest sign of all, he is raised from the dead to make it perfectly clear he is the authoritative king of this world. John 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so the question, how do you know God, becomes, do you know King Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Because he is the only God. All other gods are idols. And one day, we will all know King Jesus, the very ends of the earth, either as our saviour or as our judge. See, there is one more day to come where God will make a distinction, when he will separate the sheep from the goats, all who have trusted in Christ will, will enter into his glorious heavenly kingdom. And his enemies will be judged with everlasting fire. Do you know the Lord of all the earth? Do you know King Jesus? You're here today, if you've not yet yielded your life to Jesus as your King, do not persist in rebellion anymore. Pray that He will change your heart. Turn to Him. And if you are one of His people, then know His purpose. He wants. King Jesus to be glorified in all of the earth 
so your life exists for serving him. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word and through your Son. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into this world to take the judgment that we deserve for our sins. We thank you for his death in our place on that cross so that this awful judgment might be turned from us and we instead can be your chosen, precious and loved people who need not fear any judgment anymore. Father, we pray this evening for uh, any amongst us here or any family or friends we might have who have not yet yielded their lives to King Jesus. And we pray that in your sovereign power that you might have mercy upon them, that you might change their hearts, that they might turn to him as their saviour. And we pray that you would help each one of us to not resist your rule, but to serve you and to bring you the glory in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.